Welcome to episode number 120 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have on Jane Garvey-Gill, co-chairwoman of the Quaker Fire Descendants Organizing Committee. Jane, thank you for coming on the podcast today to, to share your story. We really appreciate it. Happy to be here. So those of you that are listening to last week's podcast will know that we covered uh, remembering the 1916 Quaker Oats explosion in Peterborough, Ontario. And we mentioned that in in this week's episode, we're doing a part two where we bring on Jane to to talk about her experience with the incident and her family and the impact that it had on the community there in Peterborough. So in, in last week's episode, we gave a lot of background on the facility itself, the lead up to the tragedy. Peterborough is a, a city with a population about 85,000 people today. So this give you an idea of, of how big the city is. We talked really about two key reasons why I was doing this episode and this interview. And, and one was that these aren't new challenges. You know, when you see a facility that has a grain dust explosion or a grain dust fire, we're really reliving the past a lot of the time. Um, and in this case, we're reliving things from 1916 that are very similar to how we're seeing process safety and worker safety incidents today. And then the second part of why I want to do these these episodes was to share this human element more. There's there's a lot of social and economic impact that comes from a large disaster like this. So when you're working in these facilities, when you're you're attempting to make them safer, this is the type of thing that you're you're working against and working to improve upon the impact on the family, on the friends, on the community when we have a disaster like this. So with this as the the background. In today's interview, we're going to talk with Jane. We're going to discuss what happened um, for her perspective from the Peterborough explosion, um, the impact it had on on Jane's family and the community there, and then if she has any ideas or thoughts on what she hopes people could take away from a tragedy like this. So, Jane, I do want to say thank you again for coming on. And anyone that's listening to the podcast that is not our typical audience, you know, engineers or, or process safety professionals, maybe once that's listening in because of the, the topic matter being in Peterborough, Ontario. We appreciate you tuning in and we're really thankful to have you and we hope that this sheds some some light on the tragedy and also helps to uh, to understand what, what happened there. So Jane, maybe a good place to kind of jump into the interview portion is, can you just tell us a bit about what happened in 1916 at the the Quaker Oats facility, which I believe was the American cereal company at the time or had, had just transitioned? My understanding was that... Um the dust had accumulated to um it, I, I really don't know exactly what happened but it was an explosion from that dust and um my grandfather was in the grain elevator when it blew apart and he ended up being buried up to his neck and uh, his eyes were his eyelashes and his eyelids and his that was the only thing that was exposed so but everything else was burnt his clothes were torn off him when they finally dug him out he had no clothes on nothing left no boots nothing he, he had no eyelids left no um lashes no uh, eyebrows, nothing was left on him. And when the 
explosion, it was all to do with the dust. It had built up to that extent. And then after the explosion came the fire. And the fire was so so hot and so extensive that they were trying to get as many fire brigades, they were called back then, I believe, to come and to assist them to help get that fire out. But it burnt for days. You know, it just it just burnt and I I I don't I don't know how to stress enough like how you're supposed to keep a workplace clean. These people give their lives, their livelihood up just to go in there to make a living. And they shouldn't have to give their life up too. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Jane. And I guess for background for the, the listeners. In terms of the explosion, we, we talked a bit about this last week. I think it was the northwest side of the building had collapsed, and that actually took out the, the boiler and a lot of the water lines that led to the sprinkler systems. So then they had fires that, that raged throughout the building with without any sort of abatement from a fire system. And they found things like you know big pieces of metal machinery that had melted together, and that's sort of how hot the fire was. So you can kind of see you know isolated incident in one part of the building can have a knock-on effect throughout the building. And we see this quite a bit. Um, turning to the, the, you know, the tragedy part, the human element, one thing that I, I got from you, Jane, when we had this discussion is Peterborough, one is, you know, kind of a small city, but two, the, the factory was right across the river. So everyone, basically the residential area was right across the river and everyone could see the initial explosion and the fire and was, I'll let you talk about this a bit, but was thinking about, you know, how, where are my loved ones and how may they be impacting what's going on? Could, could you speak to that a little bit if, if you don't mind? Yes. My grandmother and my grandfather, they lived directly across the river from the Quaker. My grandmother could see everything happening. Like she could see that it blew apart. The one side of the walls were gone. The fires were burning. People apparently were screaming too. And she ran outside because she lived directly across from the Quaker. And uh, it was it was so bad. I mean, she was just beside herself and she had five children to look after. And my aunt said right to the day she died, she still has that memory of burning food, food burning. And I I just like the whole community was out there watching it. And at that time, um, the American Cereal Company, it was the biggest manufacturer in Peterborough, I believe. So there is so many people that could relate to it and was trying to get into the building to try and pull people out. Like my uncle tried to get in. My uncle, um, uncle Fred tried to get in to it'd be my great uncle to try and look for his brother and pull people out. But the heat was so, so hot and the people were all so upset that they just, most of them, I believe just tried, they did what they could do, but there wasn't much they could do. It was just by the grace of God that people got out as many as they did. 
I'll mention a couple of resources here because when I did last week's episode and and did the research to do this interview with Jane, there's a lot of really excellent work that's been put together by the people at Peterborough. Uh, the you know Jane herself has done a lot of work in this area, especially with the Quaker Fire Descendants Organizing Committee. So there's a there's a really good Facebook page that has a lot of photos um, and a really good video that we talked about last week on the tragedy on what happened. They did put up a, a monument in Peterborough uh, that I hope to to visit myself once uh, once COVID is over here and I can actually go a couple of provinces over myself. But that monument overlooks the the existing facility that's there and sort of is in, in remembrance, has the names of the 24 victims of the the incident, um, you know, of the disaster. But there's there's a couple of good resources. So we'll, we'll put those together for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash one, two, in case anybody wants to read more, if you know, if your family maybe was involved in this or your your ancestors to to learn more. But hopefully this interview will also give you some more background on that. Jane, you mentioned that that it was the largest um, facility in Peterborough. I, I believe the American Cellular Company was the largest cereal company in the world at that time as well. Correct. And they were the lines that are producing cereal for the army because the war was going on at the time. So it was it was a busy time for them. And I think safety just, you know, let's get the production out and we'll worry about the safety part and the cleaning up after. Yeah, and they were working, um, I mean, this was 1960, so it's a long time ago. So it's hard to get exactly into the minds, but because it was the war, they were working six days a week, three shifts a day. It was, a, it was quite a busy time in Peterborough, I'm sure, for basically, I, I I've heard it said that Peterborough was feeding Canada <laughs> at that time with the uh, with the cereal that they were producing there. Yes, it was, and to this day, they're still making their cereal. And every Monday morning, you can smell them cooking their oats because it permeates through the whole city, and it makes everybody hungry, right? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that your your grandmother had five children. I, from my understanding, your your father was one of those five children. That might be obvious, <laughs> um, but he was ten years old at the time that this happened. Un- unfortunately, um, well, maybe I'll let you talk about this about. But but William Garvey, who was your grandfather, did get out of the Peterborough explosion and fire alive. Un- unfortunately, I-, I believe he passed away, maybe due to complications of of those burn injuries. Could could you? I don't want to mix up what happened, so maybe you you tell me what happened. Yeah, well, they they brought him home to die because he didn't have much time left, and it, it was the strangest thing. And I, some of his relatives were coming in to see him, and the Spanish flu was going around at the time. He ended up getting the Spanish flu, and the Spanish flu actually took him, killed him, but. I'm not sure if it's a half a dozen of one and a dozen of the other. He was burnt so bad. Like in the hospital, they used to put tea on them to stop the burning. That's what I saw in some research, actually, and wrap their bodies up in wet cloths. But um, And they used to put wet um, pads on his eyes because he had no eyelids so he couldn't close his eyes and um, his eyes were open all the time so they had to do something with them 
but um, he was in really, really bad shape. But my father was 10 when it happened and he was in school and my family at the time, my, my grandfather, he, the children, they were raised, we were Irish Catholic. Well, we still are, but they were very religious back then. And uh, my father had to quit school and go to work. And it just blows my mind to think he ended up going to Detroit to look for work. I believe it was in the auto industry back then or whatever work he could get. But um, he was 10 years old and he went to work to support, help support the family. I just couldn't imagine, like, when my kids were 10 years old, I didn't trust them to go to the store, you know? But, yeah, and so all the other, the older kids went to work, including my grandmother, the Quaker, well, which is now Quaker. Well, now it's PepsiCo, but back then, American Cereal Company, they gave her a job because her husband had died. And I believe she was getting, I heard two stories. So one was three cents a bag that if she, for every bag she made for the oats, she got three cents. And then I heard another story. No, she got five cents a bag. So I'm not really sure how much, but like three cents or five cents isn't going to put a lot of food on the table. And they ended up losing their house. She couldn't keep the house that they lived in. And um, she ended up moving to uh, like a terrace house or uh, all kinds of houses put together. I don't know, track housing, maybe. And um, so it was quite a step down from where they lived. And actually, the house still looks pretty nice because I go by it every so often to take a look at it. And it must have been quite hard for her to go from one extreme, like living a not pretty good life to living a not so good life and having five kids to look after. Yeah, I can imagine. And we do see this in other instances even today and in, in disasters around the world where the, the impact is not just the company or even, even the, even the workers that, I mean, that, that impact is big enough, but their their families, their friends, their communities, people that observed the 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 tragedies in terms of burn injuries, in terms of what happened, they can have a post post traumatic stress. Or- yes, that's the word I'm looking for. They can have post traumatic stress. Um, and in 1916, that would have you know in the the 20s and 30s, that probably would have been diagnosed. But certainly now today, we see the effect. F- maybe from people coming back from war, but that that has a, a big impact even on survivors. Yeah, and I don't think they gave them time to have post-traumatic stress, even if they did have it, because my grandmother, she had to go right to work. There was no, and like there was no unemployment, there was no safety nets, there was no nothing. You had to get right back into the swing of things. And they didn't barely even gave them time to grieve from my understanding. I don't know. I, I just got, I wasn't around in them days. We talked quite a bit around, like right around the immediate time, you know, the years following the uh, explosions and fires. Could you talk a bit about how Peterborough's 
changed since then and how maybe they've they've sort of rebuilt and if there's any you know long lasting effects on the community they they built all the plan and mayor of peterborough i can't remember the first name i met the grand nephew because he was helping me with the the website in the monument too but his he had to travel to chicago to um the American cereal company to see about because they the city was so afraid that they were going to take the company to the states or to some other place and the people of Peterborough would not have a job. And uh, the biggest concern about the building of the Quaker or American cereal company was. Uh, the bridge, the bridge wasn't high enough that went across the river so the trains could come into the bottom of the, the American Cereal Company to load up and unload, like unload the oats and all that sort of stuff. So they, they built this bridge and back 100 years ago, it was considered like a marvel how they did it because they did it with cement and it was really high back. Then, then that was the only way they were going to stay in Peterborough was if that bridge was built and built high enough so the trains could slip into the bottom of the factory to drop off their oats and pick up their crops. And it was um, it, it was quite a thing. Like even now, the bridge is still quite nice, you know, but it's not as high as. I would have expected it, likely should have. Well, the kids jump off it now in the summertime, right, when it's really hot. But, uh, yeah, so and the people of Peterborough, people lost their houses. And there was a um, the Fourth Line Theater in Melbourne. They did a play called The Hero of Hunter Street. And it was about the fire at Quaker. And it was quite, quite, uh, it was sold out from the, from the time they started showing it right to the end of Thanksgiving. It was either Thanksgiving or Labor Day. Every show was sold out. So a lot of people were interested, even now in the Quaker fire. There's, people are still talking about it. I get things on the website saying, well, my great-grandfather was in, was burnt to death in that fire, or my great-uncle was in that fire. He helped pull people out. Or, And it was strange because when we came time, to, well, they were doing the Fourth Line Theater, they wanted all of us to give them any memories or not mem- thoughts that we were told to help for them to produce the the play and it was uh, it, it was quite quite the ordeal you know because everybody was wanting something because they were everybody was doing something they were doing the play then we had three things on the go we had because we thought we had to raise money for the monument but Unifor gave us the money and the city of Peterborough ended up giving us the land right where we wanted it to, which was 
quite a fate in itself. But um, yeah, so I'm just babbling now. I lost at what I was supposed to be talking about. <laughs> no, that's no problem, Jane. I just wanted to let you go because you were sharing. Honestly, I I I'm I have Max mentioned this on the podcast, but I'll be moving to Ontario in uh, in October later this year. But once I'm within the province and could travel um, a little bit better, I, I would really like to get down there and see the the monument and the name of the play that you mentioned. What was that called again? Here on Hunter Street. It's on our website. They took pictures of it, and it is quite. It was quite the. They said they're going to bring it back too. But we have pictures of it on there and the explosion. They had like an explosion and people started coming out of the grass, whereas back then it was supposed to be people coming out of the fire and they're coming from all different parts of the factory and they're all burnt up and the clothes are all burnt off them. And it was quite the film. If you ever get the opportunity to see it, it's it's really good. I, I mentioned a couple of resources that folks can learn more about this, or certainly you can email email me, Chris at dustsafetyscience.com, and I can point you to anything. But we mentioned the the Facebook page, which I think is the the website that you're referring to. Is there is there any other resources that you if someone's interested in learning more about this that I missed that that they should they should look for? No, well, I I was in Paul Brown and my husband, and we put a lot of work into the website. And um, there's always stuff at the archives. There's lots there. At the Peterborough Museum, there's lots of information at the Peterborough Museum. I, I got a lot of information from there. And then I got a lot of information from my mother. <laughs> and... Um, my aunties and them them people, my uncles, but they're all gone now too. So I, I think that's about it. I don't know. But the website, if you go on the website, everybody is sharing stories that, that was passed down to them from uncles, great uncles and great aunts. And like, it's all there and for anybody to see. Yeah, we'll we'll include links to that. And I spent quite a bit of time going through that, looking at the videos and reading the comments and that. Um, and it is really just amazing to see that people coming together and sharing those stories and, and you know, how they've, I, I want to say rebound, but that feels kind of trite, really, um, because of the magnitude of what we're talking about here. But it, it is amazing to see. So it's a resource I encourage people to, to look at if they're interested in learning more about this. I just regret that all the people that have died, including my grandfather, they didn't get to tell their stories. You know, they didn't get to see their children grow up and see to see what they have become or what could have become of them. You know, like that's a real loss, I think, to the city. And like there is a lot of Italians that worked at the Quaker. And my grandfather were, was close to the twins, that's what I'll call them because I can't remember all their names. But he, he was close to the twins and they all lived close by. I mean, it was a real community working at that company. Everybody shared everything with each other. I mean, I, I just like when 
We had, at first we were fundraising and we had people, honest to goodness, Chris, we had them coming from Ottawa, from all over the province, wanting to donate, to help, to do this and to do that. And so, I mean, it really caught on and it caught on fast. Well, I don't know. Our researcher, Rose, picked up this, uh, picked it up somewhere and said that we need to, you know, we, we need to write about this. So we released an article probably about six months ago on the the uh, Peterborough explosion. And then that's kind of what led to to uh, to me and you discussing it um, and then bringing you on the podcast as well. So it's it's amazing how far these things reach out. And it, it's very possible somebody listens to this that's in Canada might realize that they have ancestors or family or, or something that was involved or touched by this in some way. So hopefully they, they find some more information out of, uh, through that. I guess, Jane, just to kind of leave off, I don't know, and feel free to share whatever you think's best here, but I'm just wondering if you have any um, thoughts on what you hope people would take away from listening to this interview or from the, the, the Peterborough explosion at the American Cereal Company. What, what are some things that you think would be good outcomes if somebody's listening to this to, to understand? I really believe that every company and maybe it become it's my background coming out of the labor movement, but have a health and safety committee and or like a functioning health and safety committee and actually, you know, go on constantly checking things out in their workplace to make sure that if it's like dust is a problem to make sure things are being cleaned up, if it's chemicals or whatever it is, they have to have that functioning health and safety committee, because if not, it's going to happen again. And the company has to be involved in it. You have to hold your, your feet to it because as long, and maybe this is too political, I don't know. But if um, you don't hold their feet to it, they'll just let it slide. I mean, like we lived in Halifax also when that West Ray mine exploded. And that was just horrifying to me. Uh, people never, some of them, people never came out. They're still in that mind. And I, I just, I, I'm a firm believer that you've got to have a health and safety committee. You've got to have somebody other than the company telling you everything is okay. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and you mentioned the West Drake coal mine explosion. That was only, only about 45 minutes from my host growing up. I was only, let's... Uh, See if I can do the the math. I might date myself a bit. I think it was ninety two that that happened. Yes, so I, I was only five when when the explosion happened. But through my academic degree, through my PhD research, and and even my supervisor at Dalhousie was was quite involved with that when it happened. It, it really is it really is a tragedy. And you can if you're ever driving from New Brunswick to Cape Breton, uh, or even from the Halifax Airport to Cape Breton, and you're going to you're you're going past uh, Picto. There's a big bend in the highway there. It's it's pretty noticeable because you're going 110 or 120 kilometers an hour on the highway. And there's a pretty big bend there. And that bend right below it, uh, several you know dozens of meters below ground, was the kind of cavern where that explosion first started. And that explosion propagated three kilometers throughout the mines and it exited up by, I won't say Millennium Park, but I think that's where the Pierbro um, monument is. The, there's, another, there's a Westray monument there. Um, where where the explosion came out, so that was another big one. And we haven't talked about that on the podcast, but that one influenced um, 
it influenced a lot of the legal regulations around the responsibility of companies in terms of keeping their people safe, in terms of cutting corners, in terms of having functioning, effective health and safety uh, committees. So that's that's another one we'll probably talk about here at some point. But I, I couldn't agree more, Jane. I, I appreciate you coming on. And I think that's really all we we have for today, um, unless there's anything else that you wanted to, to talk about. No, that's good. Okay, well then, I think we'll leave it at that, Jan. I I appreciate so much you coming on the the podcast to discuss this. Um, I'm sure the audience will get a lot of it as well. Thank you. So you've been listening to myself, Chris Cloney, and Jane Garvey Gill, and we've been talking about the 1916 American Cereal Company or Quaker Oats explosion in Peterborough, Ontario. Jane was kind enough to come on and share her experience with this tragedy. And as we said in the outset of the podcast. These two episodes, the last week's episode, part one, and then this one, are really around two goals. One is to, to illustrate that these large-scale disasters are not new, and they're, they're not old. They're something that happened today, and they're something that happened a long time ago. And we're really still challenged with the same sorts of technology and safety approaches that need to be in place then as, as now. The same sort of fixes can, can really help us today. So that's point one, just the reliving the the past and not forgetting those sort of lessons learned then part two or the second reason was really to share this human story and you could hear it a bit in you certainly hear in in jane's discussion and and maybe even in my voice a couple times um, i was almost breaking up a a little bit while she was talking just how much impact an incident like this can happen a tragedy like this can have have on the community and we see this quite a bit because these type of facilities are generally located in small communities and small cities and small towns. Oftentimes they're the largest employers and this can have a really big impact on things like employment, on things like the emotional stability and the economic stability of the folks that are in that region. And Jane talked a lot about that in this episode. We talked through her description of, of what happened in the Peterborough explosion from the perspective of the community themselves. They could see the fires and they could see the buildings being destroyed across the river, wondering where their where the loved ones were and where the the folks that were working in the community were. Uh, she talked about the economic impact that this had on her family. Her father had to go to work at a, a very young age. Her grandmother had to start working at the rebuilt facility to to cover the the cost of the five children that she was raising. And she talked a bit about how the rebuilding process went as well and getting the company back in and, and that. American Cereal Company or Quaker Oats and, and now owned by an, another company is still a, a pillar of industry in Peterborough, Ontario. And Jane gave a bunch of resources that uh, you can go to learn more about, including this this Facebook page or this website that we'll have a link to in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 120 if you want to learn more. Um, the play Hero at Hunter Street and Hero on Hunter Street rather, which I, I got Jane to uh, let me know the next time it's showing and hopefully I get to, to Peterborough to see it and, and maybe we can find some way to share that out with the community at Dust Safety Science as well. And we just closed out on her thoughts on what's needed to be taken away from this sort of interview. And, and that was really around having an effective health and safety committee at your place of employment. This is really the front line, the first you know, pointy end of the stick into making safer processes, into making safer facilities and re- reducing the chance of having a tragedy like this happen. So I really want to sincerely thank Jane for coming on the podcast. I want to thank the people at Peterborough, anyone that's listening to these two episodes that's not a normal listener to the podcast. We appreciate what you have done in terms of the remembrance. We appreciate what you've done in terms of 
the Quaker Fire Descendants Organizing Committee in that. And we hope that at least by sharing this, we can push those lessons forward from large scale tragedies like this so they don't have to be relived by other communities around the world. So that's it for this week on the podcast. Um, I hope that everyone out there is staying safe and healthy during these these difficult times globally. And I appreciate everything that you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer every day, or even for your working with loved ones in these industries. Uh, we appreciate the work that you do, and we look forward to continue bringing the podcast to help spread awareness of these types of fire and explosion hazards. Mm-hmm.